We are spending some time this fall asking God to to teach us through his word about what it looks like uh, to love like Jesus loved. And and I don't know about you, but just even thinking about the the events that have unfolded in our our nation over the past uh, just a couple of days just perhaps drives home. If ever there was a time uh, that we needed uh, to learn how to love like Jesus loved, uh, this would be the time. Uh, This would be a season when it feels like there's so much hatred, there's so much uh, uh, divisiveness, uh, there's so much uh, attacking. Uh, And in the midst of that, what does it look like for followers of Jesus Christ uh, to live like he lived, to love like he loved, to leave behind what he left behind? And just uh, seemed appropriate to me as we, we gather for worship and and we just to think about the even events over the past uh, few days uh, that we just pause and just uh, just pray. Um, God, we, we need you to teach us to live and to love like Jesus did. We need you to do a work in our nation. So would you, I know we just prayed a moment ago, but would you just uh, once again please engage uh, with me in prayer. Let's go to the Lord together, please. Oh, Father. Uh, We are so incredibly blessed materially, educationally, uh, access to medical care, resources, uh, time, uh, freedom to worship, on and on and on the list goes. And yet, Father, just as we look around, it just seems like there's something off, there's something wrong, there's something not right. Father, in a world that seems increasingly to be marked by by hatred, by animosity, by fixing the blame more than fixing problems. Father, we, we need you to do a work. We need you to do a work beginning in our own hearts and lives. Lord, beginning in our families, in our work environments, in our churches, in our schools, yes, in our government. Father, we just pray, Lord, teach us how to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. Lord, help us to be among those who don't, don't engage in, the, in the, the heated, hateful rhetoric, but are truly those who can engage as peacemakers, as those who come, as Jesus did, full of grace and truth. Now, Lord, we, we just recognize the need for this, and we recognize in our own selves, uh, the inability to do that. And so, Father, we just ask you, Lord, would you so move in us so that we could live that way, so that we could be part of a solution rather than just adding to a problem. Father, our hearts go out to many who are grieving this day, and we pray, Father, for you to comfort those families, comfort those individuals. We pray, Father, for those who are tasked with making hard and strategic decisions uh, for safety. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you grant them wisdom. Uh, Lord, just uh, issue upon issue that just demand almost Solomon-like wisdom. And Lord, we pray for you to to grant that to those that you have intentionally positioned in in various places of authority for the time such as this. Now, Lord, all this just reminds me today just to give you thanks for 
the privilege of coming here to worship. We do ask you to watch over those who are gathering all over this country, all over this world uh, uh, as we gather today. Father, I just pray as we have prayed so many times, Lord, help us not to grow weary in that prayer. Lord, we need you to send a revival. We need you to do a deep work in us so that you could do a powerful work through us. Father, we, we cry out for revival among your people and spiritual awakening across this land because our ultimate hope is not a government solution or a, an economic solution or a military solution as important as all of those are. Our ultimate hope is in Christ and Christ alone. Father, do for us what only you can do, and we'll cry out in expectant faith in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for taking those moments with me this morning. We are uh, asking uh, God to teach us how to love like Jesus loved. We're kind of taking those descriptors of love that Paul recorded in the first part of 1 Corinthians 13, those action verbs that are listed there, and seeing how Jesus lived those out, how he modeled those when he walked the face of the earth. And to, to maybe step into the, this morning's teaching, uh, I want to remind you perhaps of a name, a man, a situation that you, some of you know of, Robertson McQuilkin. She was president of a university just down the interstate from us, uh, Columbia Bible. And he stepped away from being president of that university to care for his wife who had Alzheimer's. And that is a hard, hard journey. And some of you are very personally acquainted with the challenges of that journey. And he wrote about his experiences. And in one of his writings, I felt like maybe we could identify once I completely lost it, he wrote. In the days when Muriel could still stand and walk and we had not resorted to diapers, sometimes there were accidents. I was on my knees beside her trying to clean up the mess as she stood confused by the toilet. It would have been so much easier if she wasn't so insistent on helping. I got more and more frustrated Suddenly, to make her stand still, I slapped her calf as if that would do any good. It wasn't a hard slap, but she was startled, and I was too. Never in our 44 years of marriage had I ever so much as touched her in anger or rebuke of any kind. Sobbing, I pled with her to forgive me no matter that she didn't understand words any better than she could speak them. It took me days to get over it. Maybe God bottled those tears to quench the fires that might ignite again someday. When we read those words, we identify, don't we? We find sympathy with Robertson. Because what we realize for many of us in our lives, sometimes the folks that we struggle the most to, to love with a patient love are those that we love the most, aren't they? Those that are closest to us. And yet that is exactly the kind of love that God calls us to love with. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says that love is patient. But remember, that's not a, a static state, but that is, a, that is an, an active tense verb. Uh, some synonyms would be, oh, love is long-suffering. 
It has great forbearance. It shows forbearance. It is long-tempered. Most of us are acquainted with short-tempered. Love that is patient is long-tempered. But, but here, here's one thing that I, I want to kind of challenge you on this morning as you think about uh, loving and relating with patience. And that is this fact that very often, very often underneath our impatience with situations or with others is our impatience with God. That very often behind, uh, kind of a layer or two below, the, the real evident impatience with a situation or impatience with another person is an impatience with God. God, why are you letting this go on? God, why don't you fix this? God, why don't they change faster? God, why am I having to continue to deal with this circumstance or this situation? God, why is this happening to me? Very often underneath our impatience with others and with situations is our impatience with God. In John chapter 11, there's a very familiar episode out of the life of Jesus, familiar perhaps to many of you if you've hung around church for a while. It is the death and the resuscitation, the bringing back to life of Lazarus. And in those verses, I want you to see something about the patience of Jesus, how he did not uh, answer with rebuke. He corrected but, but he, he related with a patience. But I also want you to see in that some lessons for you and I. Lessons about what we do when life isn't working on our timeline or our timetable. All right? So I'm just going to start off, and I, I want to read just aloud the first 16 verses just to remind you of the core of the story. And then we'll unpack it here a little bit. So I encourage you just whatever uh, translation, uh, whether you have paper or electronic version of, of the, the scripture this morning, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now, there's a lot in these verses and in the ones we're going to look at around it, but I, I want us to look at it in this context. When life isn't working on your timetable, 
When, when, when a person doesn't respond the way you want them to, when the situation doesn't change quick enough, when it seems like God's not doing anything when you've asked him repeatedly to do something, when life isn't working on your timetable, there are some things that we're called to do. Now let's talk about him in the word around trust. We are to trust God's knowledge. We are to trust in God's knowledge. One of the things that this scripture makes very, very clear is that Jesus knew exactly what he was up to, what he was going to do. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. He already knows what's going on. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That death was not going to have the last word. Obviously, Lazarus was going to die, but he was going to bring him uh, back to life. And then and he makes it very clear in verses 11 and, and following that Lazarus has died. Uh, but I, this had, there's a reason for this. This reason is so that God may be glorified. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing in this situation. And one of the things I have to be reminded of in those situations and with those people that I don't, I grow quickly impatient with is that just because I don't know doesn't mean God doesn't know. Just because I don't know what God's doing in a situation doesn't mean that God doesn't know. Just because I don't see clearly everything that God's up to doesn't mean that God doesn't know. Just because I don't know doesn't mean that God doesn't know. And in those moments when I don't know, I don't understand why this isn't happening on my timeline, I have to come back and say, God, I don't know, but I trust that you know. I trust your knowledge. But not only do I trust God's knowledge, he says, trust God's love. Trust God's love. It, it, it's actually very interesting the number of times in this chapter that, that it's just kind of repeated uh, about the love that Jesus had uh, for these folks. So, so you find it in verse uh, 3. Uh, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now Jesus in verse 5 loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. If you skip down further in the chapter, verse 35, Jesus comes upon the scene of the, the, the weeping and just the, the pain that death causes. In verse 35 says, Jesus wept. In verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. The love of Jesus Christ is emphasized over and over and over again in this passage. And I think that is very, very important because, because what happens to us in the midst of the, those challenging times is sometimes we get a little disoriented to God's love, right? And we need to be reminded in those moments that God's love is a perfecting love. It's not a pampering love. Now, I'll be honest with you. Most of the time, I want a pampering love, right? <laughs> God, fix it. Make it easy easier. Take the hurt away. Get this situation resolved so I can like get back to the things that I want to do, right? But God loves me too much to just give me a pampering love. And so he'll oftentimes respond with a perfecting love, a perfecting love. And if we're not attuned to that, we'll begin to wonder, does God still love me? Did maybe even God ever love me if this continues to happen, if I'm having to deal with this, if this hasn't been resolved yet? And one of the challenges for you and I is we must learn to interpret circumstances in light of God's love and not interpret God's love in light of circumstances. 
And that, is, that tends to be what we will do in the midst of pain, in the midst of crisis, in the midst of life not working on my timetable. I'll begin to look around and say, these are my circumstances. And if these are my circumstances, God must not love me. Because if God loved me, this would be different. This would change. They would change. This would already have happened. And when I get disoriented to God's love, if I look at circumstances, I'll get lost. So I have to keep going back and look at the cross. Because in the cross of Jesus Christ, he firmly planted and said, I love you. I love you with a never-ending love. I love you with a sacrificial love. I love you with a perfecting love. When the life doesn't work according to my timetable, I have to trust God's knowledge. I have to trust God's love, but I also have to trust God's power. I have to trust God's power. And ultimately, that, that kind of becomes what, what's at, at stake here. So verse 11, we, we find that, that statement that, that he, he, is, he, is, he has died. And, and he, he drives that home to them in the next few verses. And so he finally arrives on the scene. And he's greeted by the sisters. Uh, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus, if you had only shown up on time, this wouldn't have happened. But at least she has at least a glimmer of hope that even now, even now, I know, I know. Verse 32, he encounters the other sister in same response. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, verse 32, and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, if you had worked on my timeline, Jesus, I I know that you had the power to prevent this. I know you have power up to this point. But what Jesus was trying to teach them in this situation, that he had a power that was beyond what they knew, that was beyond their experience, even beyond their expectation. And so as you would continue to follow the narrative, he he shows up. He has them roll roll away the, the, the gravestone because he's going to call Lazarus forth. Just skip down to verse 43. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Here's what happens to you and I. Sometimes we we say, God, I trust you up to this point. Because in our mind, we would say, well, if I had the power, I would use the power this way to do this in this time. And God, I know, maybe from my past experience with you, I know that you can do this, but I'm not sure about that. Sometimes we find it easier to trust God's power for the distant future than for the present difficulty, don't we? Anybody say yeah? In other words, I, God, I, I trust you. Like, when I die, like, I, you got that heaven thing covered. Woo! But man, I'm in a financial mess. Man, this relationship. Man, this problem. Man, this person. This situation, it is not getting better quick enough. Sometimes we find it much easier to trust God for the distant future 
than for the present difficulty. Sometimes we limit God's power, don't we? God, I know you can do this, but I'm not sure about what I've got right here, right now. If I'm going to learn to live when life isn't working on my timetable, I have to trust God's power. I have to trust his knowledge. I have to trust his love. But there's a couple other things I want you to see in this passage, and that is the call to trust God's timing, to trust God's timing. Verse 6, with intentionality, Jesus did not move. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Have you ever, ever kind of just gotten frustrated with God? God, I prayed. God, I ask you. God, if you had done this when I said to do this. And it comes those moments. God, it seems like, seems like you delayed for no reason. Seems like life would have been a whole lot easier and it would have made a whole lot more sense to me if you had done this then. And in those moments, I have to come back and say, God, I don't always understand it, but I'm going to trust that Christ's delays are delays of love. That's why it is so essential for me to come back to the cross. If Jesus had a reason for delaying two days or two months or two years or two decades, it is not because of lack of love. Christ's delays are delays of love. Secondly, the delayed help always comes at the right time. (laughs) Jesus came, showed up, resuscitated Lazarus at exactly the right time. Exactly the right time. And the delayed help is always the best help. The best help is not delayed. That the help he was going to bring was greater than anything they had experienced up to that point. In the midst of that, he was going to show them something about reality, something about death, something about life, something about him, something about who he was that they had not really fully understood or experienced before. And that leads to the last thing that this chapter challenges on, and that is to trust God's purpose. In the midst of a delay, in the in the midst of that situation, that relationship that doesn't seem to be getting better, that has just tried every last bit of patience you seem to have, in those moments you have to come back and say, God, I don't fully understand it, but I'm going to trust your knowledge. And I'm going to trust that you have a purpose, a purpose in the midst of this delay. Verse 4, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. This delay was for God's 
purpose. That God was teaching them something. That God was bringing honor and glory to the Son. That God was preparing them for what was yet to come with the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. He was setting the stage for all of those things. He was, he was building their life and building their faith and building their capacity to be able to prepare for that moment. And when we don't fully understand it, we come back and say, God, I trust your purpose. Paul, who came to understand about the purposes of God, wrote to the Ephesians, in him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined, been predestined according to the purpose of him. Now watch this. The purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things according to the counsel of his will. Yes, that thing you don't fully understand. Yes, that thing that is confusing the heck out of you. Yes, that thing that is, that is driving you crazy because it hasn't changed yet. Yes, that thing that continues on day after day after day and you don't see an end in sight. All things work together according to the counsel of his will. According to the purposes of God. You say, do you have... Why is this important? What has this got to do with patience? Everything. Everything. You see, the more I trust in God's love, his knowledge, his power, his timing and purpose, the more patient I will be. <laughs> because underlying so much of my impatience with other people and with situations and circumstances is my impatience with God. And when I come to that point where I grow in my capacity to trust in God's love, knowledge, power, timing, and purpose, then it gives me a heightened capacity to relate to others, to relate to the situations and circumstances of life with a greater patience. Because the more I trust in God's love, God's knowledge, God's power, timing, and purposes, the more patient I will be. Now, let me flip that. Are there some things that you and I can do to kind of help nurture, develop that patience? And I think there are. And so let me just give you four of these to, to maybe get us started this morning. The first one will certainly come as no surprise out of what we've just said. If I'm going to develop patience, if I'm going to learn increasingly to love with a patient love the way that Jesus did, I've got to nurture my walk with the Lord. I have to nurture my walk with the Lord. Jesus said it pretty plainly in John 15. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do Nothing. That there is this need for this vital connection. The fruit of patience, and that's one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. The fruit of patience is developed in my life as I stay connected to Jesus Christ. 
If I want to love with a patient love, if I want to love like Jesus loved in all of these 1 Corinthians 13 aspects, I've got to be nurturing my relationship with the Lord. I've got to be doing those things that, that God's given me to kind of set my sail to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit. I've got to be spending time in the Word. I've got to find time for solitude. I've got to, got to listen to His voice. I've got to obey the promptings of His Spirit. I've got to be in community with others so that iron can sharpen iron. All of those things and, and many, many more but I have to nurture my walk with the Lord because it's on out of that life-giving flow of Jesus Christ's life into mine that I have the capacity to love like Jesus loved to love with a patient love and so I nurture my walk with the Lord secondly I would encourage you to think God help me to develop a new perspective help me to develop a new perspective in my flesh, in my wiring, I almost immediately see it from my perspective. I almost immediately leap to the question, what's in it for me? Or how does this impact me? Or how does this affect me? And I'm not saying those are wrong questions to ask. I'm just saying those are not the only questions to ask. That we also need to say, God, help me to develop a new perspective. God, help me to be able to look at things, first of all, from God's perspective. To not just look at it from, from a human perspective, to not just look at it from my limited vantage point, but to God increasingly be able to say, hey, God has a perspective on this, and it is so much different than mine. Through the prophet Isaiah, God reminds us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you think it might change how you relate to people in situations and circumstances if you began to have a little more of God's perspective? That maybe God was up to something in them. God was up to something through them in your life. To just come back to those things that we were just affirming that God is in control, that God is accomplishing his purposes. And so, God, help me to more and more to be able to see things not just from my perspective, but from your perspective. But secondly, to develop the capacity to see from the perspective of others. To see from the perspective of others. Paul wrote to the Philippians, let each of you look not only to his own interest, we tend to do that instinctively, but also, but also, I mean, you're going to do that instinctively, but also to the interest of others. To the interest of others. And there are times when, when I just listen to the, the, the rhetoric that, that's going on back and forth. You just kind of wonder uh, what a difference it might make if just for a few moments before somebody tweeted something, before somebody went before the microphones and the cameras and all of these things, before somebody wrote some nonsense in a comment section somewhere, right? If they just said, help me to look at this. From somebody else's perspective. Help me to walk that mile in somebody else's shoes. And I'm not saying you still might not disagree. And I, please hear me. I'm not saying to back away from truth. Jesus didn't back away from truth. But he related to them with incredible love and patience, didn't he? Even when they weren't sure what he was up to, even they doubted he had the power and the capacity to do it. 
I'm just saying maybe part of, part of learning to love like Jesus loved is say, God, help me to be humble enough to admit I don't see it all perfectly clearly. There might be another way of looking at this. Help me, Father, to increasingly be able to see it from your perspective. Increasingly to be able to at least understand somebody else's perspective. Not to demonize it, but to understand it. And even if we end up still disagreeing, we do so from a place of, of understanding. Develop a new perspective. And then thirdly, I'm just going to encourage you, cultivate a sense of humor, right? Cultivate a sense of humor. Proverbs says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. That I have this need to, to, to cultivate a sense of humor. Said another way, if you can laugh at it, you can live with it, right? If you can laugh at it, you can live with it. And we've talked about this before, but you've been in those situations. Maybe you've been in a, in a tense discussion. Maybe you've been in a, a tense meeting and, and folks are powering up and, and the, the rhetoric's getting more heated. And then somebody like sees something humorous Somebody says something that just kind of, even if they weren't intentional, it just kind of cracks up the room a little bit. And all of a sudden, the temperature in the room changes, right? The temperature in the meeting just changes. The direction of the meeting changes because for a moment, at least, you had the capacity to laugh at it. I think we would be a whole lot more patient if we took ourselves a whole lot less seriously, Right? Let's take God very, very seriously. And there are some things that are very, very serious. I mean, you watch that video of the, the Operation Christmas Child and the capacity to take the gospel to places where it has not been heard. That's serious. But have the capacity to be able to find the joy in the journey, to be able to laugh at yourself, right? Be able to, to, to find the humor in sometimes ridiculous situations, right? The capacity to laugh sometimes can get you through some very, very challenging times. Cultivate a sense of humor. And I think that's fueled when you don't take yourself so seriously, but you have a serious trust in God. You can find the humor in those situations. You can find joy. You can bring a joyful heart to it. One more. And that is to celebrate, to celebrate God's patience towards you. You want to, to, to do your part in developing patience? Then spend some time remembering, reflecting on, giving thanks for, and celebrating God's patience towards you. Peter, who, who was as impatient as they came. Uh, Peter, who, who would just jump off and who would, was ready to, to condemn people and would pull out a sword and lop off an ear, all of these things. Peter came to understand and appreciate the patience of God toward him. He would write in his later years, the Lord is not slow about fulfilling his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Oh, God, sometimes I say, God, why don't you just end this? Why don't you stop this? Why don't you enter in it? It is the patient love of God drawing you, calling you to repentance. Paul, who had been this 
enemy of Christianity, this persecutor of the faith who hunted people down, came to understand the patience of God. He wrote to the Romans, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That there is this this wooing, this drawing that comes as God is patient toward us. Why is that important? Because the more I remember God's patience toward me, the more I'll be patient with others. The more I remember God's patience toward me, the more I will be patient with others. But if, if, if I've kind of moved beyond that, and sometimes we get, into, we, we get into a performance base, or we think, well, I've got it together, or maybe I, I, I needed God's grace back then, but not so much today. But when I come and realize every single day, God is so patient with me. God is extending grace upon grace toward me. When I remember God's patience toward me, it helps me to be more patient with others. Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, preceded him in death by several years. And she saw, one time she wrote, she said, I saw a sign on a little stretch of highway, and she said, I thought it was so appropriate that I have asked it to be put on my gravestone. And if you would drive just a few miles up the road now to that gravesite, you would find these words on Ruth Bell Graham's gravestone. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> Isn't that great? End of construction. She finally came to the end of construction. Thank you for your patience. See? Every single day, every single day, when you bleary-eyed get up and look in the mirror in the morning, you're looking at somebody that's still under construction, (laughs) that God is still at work in their life. Extend to them a little grace and patience every single day. When you lock eyes with another human being, even that one who frustrates you to no end, even that one that that, that seems to not be making any progress or any change, they're still under construction. Thank you for your patience. And when I come back to that day after day after day after day, and please hear me, it doesn't mean you don't address hard issues. It doesn't mean you don't speak truth in love. Jesus did all of those things. But he always had this patient love. Still under construction. God, thank you for your patience. And the more I remember God's patience toward me, the more patient I will be with others. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer, please. Oh, Father, man, when we just pause to really reflect on who you are and your patient love toward us, it it overwhelms us. 
It overwhelms with a sense of awe, a sense of amazement, a sense of just gratitude. And Lord, I, I pray today, I pray, Lord, that, that even in these last few moments that we have together, that you would just sweep over us with just a sense of amazement, of awe, of your patience toward us. And Lord, I pray, Lord, in the midst of that, Lord, that today there would be some in this room right here, right now, that the patience of Jesus Christ would draw them to repentance, to turn from sin, to turn from self, to turn and place their faith and trust in the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ. Lord, let today be the day that your patience draws them to salvation. And Lord, I pray for all of those that, that name the name of Jesus Christ. Father, today just we want to say thank you. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you that you're still at work in us. And Father, today, would you just remind us, remind us of who you are. Remind us that we can trust you. We can trust your love. We can trust your knowledge. We can trust your power. We can trust your timing. We can trust your purposes. And we don't have to understand all of those things, but we can trust them because we can trust in you. And then, Lord, in the same way that you have loved us, teach us to love one another. Help us to see that everybody will encounter this week is still a work in progress. To speak love, to speak truth, but to do it in your patience, in your strength. I'm just going to invite you just to sit before the Lord for just a couple moments more.